Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and a fresh series filled with women who are courageously blazing trails and leaving paths in their wake. Each of these conversations left me in awe of the incredible brave ways in which women go ahead of others to show the way. I am excited for you all to hear their stories as they share their experiences in the wilderness. Our first guest is sure to inspire you. Carrie Gallagher is the Assistant Principal for Teaching and Learning at St. John's Prep in Danvers, Massachusetts. She's also the Director of K-12 Education for ConnectSafely.org, an internet safety nonprofit in Palo Alto, California. She's a Future Ready Instructional Coach, ASCD Emerging Leader, Adobe Education Leader, PBS Learning Media Digital Innovator, and Ed Surge Columnist. She served as middle and high school teacher and digital learning specialist for over 15 years, and her passions include digital citizenship and effective integration of curriculum, pedagogy, and ed tech. Carrie is a TEDx and keynote speaker and a lawyer by training. She was recognized with accolades for her work by the Family Online Safety Institute in 2015, by Mass CUE in 2016, and by Smart Brief and St. Anselm College in 2018. Carrie has built her career on smart and effective use of technology in the classroom and for families. As a current teacher, secondary school administrator, and mom of two elementary level children, her experience and expertise applies to teachers and parents across grades K through 12. In this episode, we learn how Carrie bravely blazes trails for others to learn as she serves her local learning community and broader with her dynamic background in education, technology, and law. From her story, we learn how we too can shape the conversations in our lives, lead from our strengths, and always be on the lookout to impact those around us with our passions. I am proud to bring for you Carrie Gallagher's trailblazing story. Welcome, Carrie Gallagher, to the In Awe Podcast. I am just thrilled to feature you on the Trailblazer series, and I'm so excited for our listeners to hear all about the awesome, awesome experiences that you are having and giving others today. So welcome. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so honored to be a part of this. Um, You're such a great example of someone who empowers other people, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Well, it feels like we are connecting together in a really common space. And I shared with you in the pre-chat, so I'll share with listeners, I'm a huge fan of the Marvel series. And when I picture Carrie, I picture you as the Captain Marvel character in life, just blazing through and kicking butt. So (laughs) I'm excited to have, I'm excited to have our listeners just hear all about the great things that you're doing. And so would you like to just give a little brief kind of context about what you're up to in the world? Absolutely. So I, my, you know, my biggest and most important job is that I'm a mom of two girls who are 10 and seven, um, and, um, married to my husband who is wonderful and supportive. Um, I'm the assistant principal for teaching and learning at an all boys school called St. John's prep. It's a six through 12 school in Danvers, Massachusetts. We have about 1500 boys on campus or a day school. Um, and I also serve as the director of K-12 education for connect safely, which is an internet safety nonprofit that's based in Palo Alto, California. And then, um, as we were talking about in the pre-show, I also do a lot of writing and, um, a little bit of podcasting and a great deal of speaking both for schools and districts and also, um, at conferences, um, all over the country. So, um, I'm really fortunate that I have so many different sort of hats that I get to wear, 
and I get to experience my passions in lots of different ways. I love having the fact that you're featured on the Trailblazer series because you just whipped through all these great things that you're doing, all of these different roles that you have in life and the way that you're impacting others. But I'm also hearing that you are a female leader in an all-male school. So that feels kind of trailblazing. And uh, also this idea that you've got, you're working for a nonprofit um, and that you, is this a a second career for you too, education? Um, No, I actually have been in education for 17 years. Um, But I also, I think what you might be touching on is that I'm a lawyer. Um, I went to law school nights when I was teaching full time when I was in my twenties. Um, I, when I think back to that, you know, four years that I was going nights to law school, I was, I also got engaged, bought a house and had my first baby and was teaching full time while I was doing law school nights. And it's, I look back and I'm like, how did I do it? But then I think if I were me and were at that time and were able to see the future and see what I do now. I think I would also say to my current self, like, how are you doing that? So I think we we all kind of manage what we do when we're passionate about it and we want it. Well, yeah, that's pretty fascinating. And and I love that you started out too saying that, you know, you're a mom of two daughters, these 10 and seven year olds. And I'm sure that that has to have an impact on your passion with the work that you do in the technology world. So can we just pick apart some of these, you know, some of these trails that you're blazing? Can you just talk a little bit about your experience being, um, you know, a leader in the school setting and especially in the context, because that's pretty unique in regard to leading a a prep school. Sure. So I started working here. um, I'm I'm in the, I just started my fifth year here at St. John's and I started as a digital learning specialist, which was a new role for the school. Um, And it was also at the time that they were opening their middle school. So it had been a high school that opened in 1907. It's a very old prep school with a long tradition, um, a really great history, a really powerful network of alums. Um, And we're opening the middle school. Also, it's a one-to-one school with iPads. And so it was really clear that as they were onboarding all these new students and new faculty, they were going to need someone to help the teachers um, and the students and the parents get acquainted with how the technology can be used toward academic success um, and how to avoid some of the pitfalls that a lot of people sort of fall victim to as they are, you know, enticed by some of the bells and whistles that technology can offer. So there were two of us who were brought in as digital learning specialists. And I really enjoyed that work as a teacher coach, as someone who was helping to craft and carry out the vision of what, um, you know, 21st century teaching and learning can look like at a school like this for boys. Um, And then the school has um, really kind of has shifted a little bit of the administrative organization and a new um, position was created, my position, this assistant principal for teaching and learning, where the role is to help um, induct our new faculty and orient them to our culture and our goals for teaching and learning to help provide some access to research and professional learning for our teachers so that they're continuing to improve um, and increase their own capacity for taking risks in their classrooms with their students, um, and then also to lead the integration of technology in our classrooms. Um, so I really, really love the work. And one of the things that I've learned through the work is that Um, specifically teaching boys is something that is worthwhile and it's something um, that is really special. And I, 
um, really, I also teach one class. Um, I teach an eighth grade social studies class. And I think the best part of my day every day is in the classroom with those boys, um, working with them, digging through problems, helping them create things and really making sure that I'm providing an active learning experience for them, because that's um, a really important thing for boys to have access to, but also helping them understand that it's important for them to know that among the school leadership are these very strong women who can be intelligent, bold, um, firm, and also feminine. And it's important for them to sort of see that among the school leadership at the school, both inside the classroom and at other community events. And I really enjoy the work for all of those reasons. That's just a really great insight for all of us to hear from you. And so thank you for sharing that. And I love the fact that you get to teach a class and that this position is focused, you know, pretty heavily on instruction, instructional leadership. And it sounds like you're, you're in a really great, sweet spot for your profession. I know that when I was in the classroom and just kind of looking at studies and spending a lot of time looking at data, working in a school that had obviously, you know, a diverse population in gender mix and all of that. It'd be so interesting to just kind of pick your brain in regard to the strategies because you said that, you know, boys typically need to have more kind of active learning strategies. And so that might be different. And people, we get uncomfortable with this idea of dividing genders, but we know based upon a lot of research that there is a difference. And also every learning community, of course, is different, but looking at time um, over time, looking at the data with how um, males and females do, you know, perform in standardized tests and in the classroom and, and all of that is just really fascinating. So for any listener, if you're, if you haven't taken time to look some of that data and um, how, grades and behavior and all of that is impacted based on gender. It's really, it is something that school leaders do look at. Yeah. And I have the opportunity as part of my role to work with some of our student leaders and help with their leadership training um, throughout the year, Um, both sort of at the end of the last school year and um, over the summer, we do some leadership training with our students who are going to really represent our school in a variety of ways. Um, And one of the things we want to make sure we ask them is when someone asks you, what's it like to go to school without girls? You know, what do you say? And it's really interesting to hear their insights because what they say is that it's, it's, it's relaxing. It's, uh, it's a little bit freeing for them. They feel like they can be themselves in a way that they have sort of less to worry about when it comes to social interactions. And so therefore in the classroom, they're using less of their emotional and mental energy on the social part and are able to dedicate more to their academic achievement. Um, and they still feel as though they have plenty of interactions with girls um, because of what the school provides in terms of programming and because of, you know, the out outside stuff that they do with their families and their friends. You know, they're, they're not, um, Mm -hmm. segregated from girls in their entire life from, um, from dawn to dusk. It's really just to be focused on that, on that academic piece. Um, and I will say that it, you know, just because they're boys doesn't mean there aren't, there aren't, um, introverts in my class. There certainly are. There are introverts who are girls and boys. Um, and so as teachers, it's important for us to provide quiet time, but also active time and, I've just found when it comes to classroom management, um, the way you speak to an adolescent boy is uh, really different than the way you speak to an adolescent girl when you're asking them to adjust their behavior patterns. And um, that's been really interesting, especially as a parent of a child. And I think you have kids about the same age as mine, Sarah, who is about 
Yeah. Who's like, uh, my 10 year old is entering adolescence, like knocking down the door right now. And the way I speak to her is just different than the way I would speak to a 10 year old boy, just because the way that she and he would perceive the world around them is, is a little bit different because of that, that gender perspective that they have. That's so interesting. I think we could probably spend an entire podcast talking about that. So, uh, but thank you for bringing this insight and probably sparking a lot of feelings and interest in terms of uh, how the listeners are reacting to our conversation right now. So um, I want to pill and apart another trailblaze because I just love how dynamic your background is, Carrie. When you said that you are working for a nonprofit, do you want to talk a little bit more about that prong of your life? Sure. So Connect Safely was founded, um, gosh, I think in the early 90s by um, Larry Magid, who is a technology journalist who's syndicated around the country for CBS News. And so he's been doing a lot of work on, um, you know, testing technology, sharing insights with the public about technology, and also even working with some of the larger technology companies. Some of our partners include companies, um, media companies like um, like Facebook and Comcast and Google and Google and. Um, when we're able to work with them and help them navigate both how to best serve their customers, how what kinds of policy concerns they need to be worried about as they're continuing to develop their products, and how they can better communicate the safety and privacy practices that they're trying to put in place. Um, I find that that work is inextricably linked to the work that I try to do with teachers and students at my school when I'm trying to teach them how to use the technology well and not get caught up, like I said earlier, in the bells and whistles and pitfalls um, that technology can sometimes suck us into. So uh, it's really rewarding work and it's helped me have a better understanding of the industry industry side of technology, even as my day-to-day work at my school is really focused on the education and parenting side of um, our digital world. All of those, you know, different perspectives, the people who are the developers who are developing the new technologies and platforms for us, you know, of course they're, they want to make a profit, but they also want their tools that they're developing to serve people well. They certainly don't want to do harm. And so it's understanding that there isn't any like us versus them perspective if we're all communicating effectively with each other about what these tools are, what they should be used for, and how we can continue to make sure they're used for good, right? For positive things. It's really interesting perspective. And I love that you're able to bring that to our listeners who are obviously users of technology. (laughs) Um, If you're a podcast listener, you know, you're Mm -hmm. part of the percentage that engages with your learning through technology. And it, it, I found it interesting. I was listening on your website, Carrie, you have a lot of great resources and I was watching your sample Ignite video. And in there, you were talking about some of the content that you must work with with parents. So for those that are listening that are parents of you know, students or kids who are consuming technology, you had, I think, some kind of helpful, maybe hopeful messages in that in that for us. Is there anything that you'd like to unpack just a little bit about that in terms of our perceptions of technology and how teens use it versus how it's actually being used or their perceptions of it? (laughs) Absolutely. So first of all, if people are hungry for resources on 
you know, how to use technology well, or even how to start talking to kids about technology. I think a lot of times adults are worried that the kids know more. Um, whereas it, it really, it's just that they're more comfortable tinkering with it, I think, than many adults. But we as adults have to remember that we know more about what it is to be human, about how to live a life well. And, and so when they're using their technology, they're learning how to live through that technology, just like they learn how to live through, you know, helpful social interactions and face-to-face conversations. They need to learn how to live through their technology because that's another really important form of communication for them. So Connect Safely has um, free guides available. So if you go to connectsafely.org and click on the guides tab, there are lots of guides that are free PDFs. You can download them for parents, for teachers that talk about all kinds of things, data privacy, social media. There's guides that are specific to cyberbullying, um, lots and lots of things. And they're really, they're 10 to 12 pages, easy, quick reads. And we work closely with researchers from, for instance, the Yale Institute for Social Emotional Intelligence with um, National, National Association of Media Literacy Education, those researchers to develop those materials. So those are there for you. We also have our own podcast um, that we release weekly with um, conversations between Larry Maggot and I to help parents and educators. But one of the things that you were trying to get at is the research is showing us that um, adults think that kids, 60% of parents surveyed, for instance, by Annenberg in 2017 said that um, their their kids are on their devices too much. 60% said that. Um, We we know that about 60% of kids teenagers worry that about how much time they spend on their device. So while adults are thinking you're on it too much, you're on it too much, the kids are wondering, am I on it too much? And I see that as an opportunity for us to start communicating about Mm -hmm. that time in a really positive, helpful way, rather than pointing fingers and accusing kids of doing the wrong thing. Let's ask them, is this something you ever worry about? Why do you worry about it? When do you find yourself looking at your screen and kind of losing track of time and all of a sudden you look up and it's 20 minutes later? Does that happen to you when you're on the bus on the way to school? Does it happen to you you know, during class ever? Does it happen to you um, when you're around friends and you've missed a whole chunk of a conversation? And how can I help you help manage that better? Like, how can I help you figure out how to make this work better for yourself rather than just doing that knee-jerk reaction and, you know, grounding them and taking it away? Like, you can't control yourself, so you can't have it. Like, that's not helpful and it's not helping them learn how to manage their time and their attention. We also know that... um, you know, for tweens, they're spending outside of school, they're spending about four and a half hours a day with screen media. And teens are spending about six and a half hours a day with screen media. And that's outside of school. But their parents are spending about seven and a half hours a day with screen media outside of what's required for work. So (laughs) and whenever I share this, this research with parent groups, I, I often am called in to talk to parents from school districts or with parenting advocacy groups and stuff around the country. And I always follow that with that's this is probably not you because no parent likes to be told that they're doing the wrong thing, modeling for their child. But even if it isn't you as a parent, remember that your child is interacting with lots of other adults through the day. And at least some of the adults that they interact with are staring at their screens that much of their time. And so that's being modeled for our kids. So we have to really be honest and reflective about our practices um, because 
they're, they're learning more from what they see than from what we say. And I really love that you brought that up. And I was actually going to ask you if you had any content about that, because it's something that I've shared with um, the balance message. We talk about, you know, none of us ever feel like we have enough time. And yet if we did a time study on our own day, how much time would we see we're spending on our phones and our phones track that for us now? They do. You, know, you mm-hmm. can get like you have your iPhone, you can just, you get it right there, or you can get apps that tell you how much time you're spending on each app, which is kind of funny. We always laugh in in those sessions because we say you're getting another app to tell you something, but (laughs) it is, it's one of those things where I said earlier, you know, there's only two industries. This was Golden Krishna, who's a strategist for Google said that the only um, industries that reference their customers as users are technologists and um, the drug companies. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it can be highly addictive. And, right. And people throw that word addiction around with technology um, all the time. And I I worry about that a little bit because addiction is a, it's a medical diagnosis. So I think we need to be careful. But um, mm-hmm. if a child says that to you, if an adolescent says, I feel addicted, it's important to not, to not be like, oh, he's addicted. You know, now you know, I have to take it away because the only way when we think of addiction, we think of like smoking or drinking. And in order to overcome an addiction, people have to not ever do it again. Right. You, if, if mm. you, if you become addicted to smoking, you have to give it up and never, ever do it again. If you're an alcoholic, you have to stop drinking and people who are, who are alcoholics can never really drink again because it, it's too hard to go to, they'll fall back into sort of that pit. Right. That that's not going to work for technology. So we, I worry about throwing the word addiction around because we need to be able to manage our technology use in order to function both in our personal and our professional lives. So I worry about throwing the word addiction around because I want to make sure we understand that it is something they do have to learn how to manage. It can't just be taken away in order for them to have a productive life. Oh, so good. You just, you gave me such a really good insight for that. I I never thought of it that way. So you've just kind of blown my, the doors wide off in terms of my own talking about it, because we just have to adjust. We have to adjust to the change. I mean, just even if, if as a listener, you look at how much your own use of technology since the evolution of personal devices has changed just as you in the last 10 years, if this is something you haven't engaged with as a person listening, it's amazing when you consider what you didn't have three, five, 10 years ago. And when we get that access, it's really easy to saturate ourselves in it or even just mindlessly spend a lot of time in it. And so, yeah, I agree. Thank you for pointing that out. Not necessarily an addiction, but more so of a lack of boundary is really probably what it comes down to. Right. Well, and I think we need to think about technology the same way we think about food. Yeah. So we are not shy about talking to children, both teachers and parents, about their food choices. I happen to have my class probably three out of the five days right after snack. And so the boys walk down the hall with their snacks and their drinks in their hand that they've just picked up from either the cafeteria or the school store. And a good half of them are snacking on Twizzlers and drinking Gatorade. And I'm like, that's what you chose for your snack. It's nine 30 in the morning. Like you're going to either have a headache or you're going to crash and it won't be during my class. Cause I only have you for the next 45 minutes. It's going to be during your next class. I, you need to really think about that. Maybe tomorrow. Could you try like cheese? It's even would be better than what you have. Like I'll take measured steps up. Right. And I, I'm not shy about talking to my students about what they're eating, even though I teach history, because I know it's about who they are, you know, 
as a whole person. And in the same way, we shouldn't be shy about asking them th- those kinds of questions about their technology use. So <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I love it. So thank you for, for helping me reframe even the way I speak about it. Um, you know, because we don't want to create a situation where there's just shame, of course, tied around everything we do, because it's it, we all have our own burdens and our own struggles and the things that we we don't have boundaries around that we need to create more boundaries around. And I obviously in your work, uh, not only with the nonprofit, but also with your future ready work, if you want to speak with that a little bit, that'd be awesome. Uh, But I'm, you know, it's, it's a huge impact that you're going to have because this technology is not going to go away. How do we use it? Well, how do we use it in a way that um, adds value to our lives and doesn't decrease the value in any aspect of our lives, but that's just really great. So you want to, you want to talk at all about the future? Ready then? Sure, sure. So, Future Ready Schools is an organization that um, really designs processes to help schools evaluate not just where they are, but where they're going. And um, they, you know, they've been around for a long time, part of the Alliance for Education Excellence, I believe. And um, I was honored when they asked me to serve as one of the few future ready instructional coaches that they have around the country. Um, and as a result of that, I've had the opportunity to participate in a handful of, of events, but mostly as they continue to develop the products that they provide for schools and they provide all of these for free. Um, they're constantly reaching out to their network of instructional coaches and school leaders around the country to help provide feedback and help with that design process. So I was just on a conference call with them last week um, where we're, they're working on designing um, a process for amplifying um, student voice and student leadership as part of the way schools envision their you know, progression and shifts into the future. And it's being a part of those discussions is really valuable because it's, it's like being part of a a think tank of the best and the brightest school leaders around the country. And all of us are, are working school leaders in our schools and are able to come together through, you know, you and I are coming together from across the country because of podcasting technology. And we do the same thing because of conference call technology with future ready. And it's, I just think it's really good work. The resources are all free. Um, you know, everything that they provide is already tested and has, you know, been successful in other schools. And it's not a cookie cutter program. They're not saying, here's how this school helped design their vision. So you should use the same vision that they're using. They're giving you a process to develop a vision and a path that's right for your school and your community. So I just think it's it's really good work. And I, I like how Future Ready started several years ago, really trying to increase um, equity and access to technology in schools. And they've pivoted because now we know most schools do have access to Wi-Fi and technology because that has was a priority. And so now what's the next step? And I think um, the next step is is really student leadership, student voice, student choice. And, and it's good to see them moving in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one of the kind of major faces of that is, is Tom Murray mm-hmm. um, for Future Ready Schools and a huge um advocate for, like you said, equity, but also just embracing um, the concepts of innovation and what's best for the community in which you serve. So I love that you highlighted all of those really good points. And I love having Tom highlighted on this podcast because he's amazing. So that's good. Yeah, he does really good work. And whenever I have a conversation with him, his insights are always really valuable because of the work that he does. And it helps really inform my own practice at my school too. So it's, it's good work. 
That's so cool. Very good. So speaking of that, I want to make sure, Carrie, that you've given so much value in this interview, just myself, just processing. And I know the listeners are really gaining from what you're talking about, but I want to know too, just a little bit more about you because the mission of the NA podcast is to amplify stories so that others can hear. And I want to know just a little bit about what, you know, fueled your passion to get you into education and into these various roles. What made up Carrie to get her kind of focusing her gifts and her special talents in this way? That's a good story. That's a good question. Um, so I went, it's a really good question because I was not on the path to education at all. Um, I was a politics major in college. I really love history, social sciences, and specifically, I like politics. I like political philosophy. I love studying, you know, the history behind how governments are designed and what are the push-pull factors and motivations for people when they make decisions. Why do leaders move into leadership? Um, uh, all of that was just really fascinating to me in high school. And so that's what I wanted to study in college. And in college, I um, worked on several campaigns, both local, regional, and national campaigns. Um, really liked writing press releases and helping design the transcripts for TV commercials and stuff on various campaigns. I had a great time with that. And I had very few electives available to me with um, the majors and minors that I had selected, but one elective um, that I decided to take was just introduction to education because education is constantly a hot button issue in politics and in campaigns. Um, And so I thought it would be just really good for me to have a better understanding of the education system. Once I started taking that class, I was like, wow, I think I'm going to take another education class just to kind of see how this is. So I took um, child um, health and development. I had, you know, obviously worked on campaigns and done some internships in that way, but I had the opportunity to do student teaching. So I said, you know what, what the heck, I'll do student teaching. Oh my goodness. Within two days of being a student teacher, uh, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I had no idea that this is what I was supposed to do, but this is what I'm supposed to do. And in the meantime, I was, I took, you, you won't believe this, while I was student teaching, I took the exam to be a state police officer. <laughs> Because I was thinking about going into law enforcement as a way to also better understand like government systems and, and, you know, obviously policing is always a really big political issue. And I just thought that that might be a good direction to move in. And then if I did decide I wanted to work exclusively in politics, I could always make the move, but I would have met a lot of people in the government system as a, as a police officer. I was asked to join the police academy because I did so well in the exam and I, Um, my family was like, this is amazing. This is such a great opportunity. Like you'll have like, it's, it's a wonderful career. And then you get this pension and all this stuff. And I said, no, I think I'm going to apply for teaching jobs. And it was like, what, what you're going to do what? (laughs) So I ended up getting hired by the school where I did my student teaching. It was a high school in Manchester, New Hampshire called, um, uh, Central High School. It's the largest, most diverse um, school in the city. In it's the largest, most diverse high school in um, all of New Hampshire, but also in the city of Manchester. And worked there for a year, and then decided I wanted to move back to Massachusetts, where I grew up. Um, and so I took a position as an eighth grade teacher um, in a town called Marblehead, which is right on the ocean. I could see the ocean from my classroom. It was beautiful. And I had to decide pretty su- pretty quickly what 
I was going to get my advanced degree in because in Massachusetts, you have to get uh, an advanced degree within your first five years or you lose your teaching license. So the, the options that were available were, you know, a master's in history or a master's in school leadership. And neither of those was of interest to me. I, I wasn't a history major, but I was teaching history, but I could learn the history as I was teaching it. I didn't understand why I would need a master's degree in history in order to teach it because politics and history are so intertwined. So I already felt like I had a pretty strong background. And I, the last thing I wanted was to be a school administrator. Like I, even if you asked me three years ago, Sarah, I'd be like, (laughs) nope, no thanks. Not going to do that ever. (laughs) So then my dad was like, why don't you just go to law school? So I was like, all right. So on a whim, I applied. Um, and I applied to a school where you don't have to take the LSATs to get in. And I got in and um, started law school and loved law school. Loved it. It was really hard. I um, The reading is so intense in law school that uh, my vision actually got worse over the course of those four years because I had to read so much, but it came back once I graduated. So that was good. Um, yeah, it was just really wonderful. I ended up graduating like top 10 in my class and I was working full time and like got married and had a baby in the meantime because I just loved it so much. Um, but you know, took the bar exam, passed the bar exam, all that, when it came time to decide if I was going to apply for positions doing legal work, I was just like, but I don't want to leave the classroom. I really love teaching. So even with all these other interests and passions that I had, I kept coming back to being in the classroom with students and wanting to work with with adolescents, with middle and high school students. I just really love that age group. And um, so I stayed in the classroom and started looking at how I could help advance education for others by writing on my blog. Um, so I started blogging once I finished law school, um, started, you know, recording podcasts like these, and I was able to participate in some think tanks, um, that were looking at policy work around the country. And I think my law degree helped serve me in those conversations as well. And that's kind of how I launched into my work with Connect Safely. For instance, I met Larry at one of those think tanks and the relationship kind of grew from there. He had me write for Connect Safely a couple of times and he said, you know what, I think I'm just going to keep coming back to you to ask you to write for us and do work for us. I might as well bring you on board officially. Um, And so that's how that relationship developed. And then I found out that I was learning so much from that policy work and speaking work and writing outside of my classroom that I was going to be able to serve some of my colleagues better by sharing with them what I was learning. So that's when I started speaking at conferences. Um, And that's when I started putting my name out there as someone who would come and speak to a district to share some of the insights that I have access to because of the work with Connect Safely and some of the other work that I'm able to do um, in that in that world. That is, it really is an incredible story, Carrie. And I love it so much because you can just kind of hear the passion light up for you. You've thought about this, you know, you've thought about your path and all of a sudden you're just an incredibly intelligent person on the other end of this microphone. And I just am excited that the listeners get to hear this kind of state and steady confidence about you that a couple of things I noticed. One is that you are a learner at heart. 
you know, you talked about Mm -hmm. going into a variety of coursework just so that you can be better at the one that you had planned, first of all. And second, that you have a heart of service because most everything you framed has been stating that you, you know, you could help others, you could serve others with your knowledge. And I just, I love it. And I have a sense that the life that Carrie leads is going to be full and it's going to be uh, legendary. And it's also not going to kind of stay stagnant. I'm wondering what you're going to be up to 10 years from now and how everything that you've kind of gained up to this point and all the knowledge and the skills is going to continue. It'd be interesting to see if you end up in politics someday. (laughs) I know. Wouldn't it be come full circle, right? I think, um, and I think I, it, like like I said to you, if you asked me three years ago if I would be a school administrator, I'd say no way. But I love my job right now so much. But if you ask me now, will I still be in this job five years from now? I have no idea. I don't know. I love it right now. But I also know that I... And I don't just go whichever way the wind blows. Like I've, I've, you know, I worked the last district before I moved to, I've been at the school going into my fifth year. Like I said, my last district, I was there for eight years. So I'm not someone who hops around, but I do adjust my work based on where I see need and where I see a slot where I can really serve people with my expertise and where there's an opportunity for me to learn and grow. So if I continue to be able to learn and grow in the role that I have now, like I feel like I am, then I will be here. If not, then things will shift and it'll shift because I, I because I'm supposed to shift because I'm supposed to be in a place where I can do more um, or do things better or differently. So um, it's, I think it's great that we live in a time where you don't commit to a certain path right out of college. And that's the work that you do for your entire life. Like my parents have both held the same job for decades and decades and decades. And that's just, we're so lucky that we don't, we could do that if we wanted to, but we don't have to. And it's not considered um, unsteady or um, unreliable. It's because the world is shifting and we can shift our profession and our passion with, with all of those changes. And aren't we lucky that we have that opportunity? Uh, And I agree with you wholeheartedly and I'm just coming to this space myself in this new season where I am would basically echo what you said is accurate. You know, that we, we don't have to stay in a, a skill set, we can grow and we can learn and we can develop. And I love the fact that you say that you can stay in the role just as long as you get to keep growing and using your signature strengths. Because I love that you said too, I didn't want to be an administrator, but I'm also thinking about your role is not what uh, every administrative position is like either. You know, you get to right. kind of have the, the educating of parents and staff and students without some of maybe the managerial or the disciplinary pieces that would have held you back. I mean, I don't, I don't know what held you back from the idea of, of wanting to be an administrator or not, but it sounds like it's a really good spot right now for you to exercise a lot of signature strengths every day. Yeah. I think what held me back initially was just um, that I, I didn't want to lose touch or connection with the students. So, um, and that was what I was worried about. And in my role, I feel like I'm actually more embedded with the students than I was as a digital learning specialist, um, because I was so focused on teacher coaching. And now as assistant principal for teaching and learning, my goal is how everyone is teaching in our school and how everyone is learning. Um, whether you're, a you know, 10 year old, just entering sixth grade with us, or whether, you know, you're graduating and you're a 19 year old senior, um, or whether you're a teacher who's, we have a teacher who just, um, marked his 50, 50th year teaching at the school. 
<laughs> You've got to be kidding me. I know. I mean, when I tell you this place has a storied tradition, um, you know, and, and my job is to serve every one of those people from, from, you know, age 10 to 50th year of teaching. So oh, that's amazing. I love this really beautiful kind of dichotomy of tradition and innovation that you're living in. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's a great place to be. That's so cool. Carrie, I am so excited that our listeners get to get so much value and hear all of the great work that you're up to. I am going to link all of your on-spang recommendations in the show notes because we were unable to get to those in the actual interview today. But I know that the listeners are in awe of your trailblazing, of your reflections and of all of the you know things that you're doing in this world to make it better. So I just really want to thank you for taking the time to be on this podcast and to being featured on the Trailblazer series. Well, thank you for having me. It was wonderful. <laughs> I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.